You ask me a question. When I answer it, it's the answer to your question. You don't get to determine whether I answer your question or not, okay? In all respect. The Intel Committee is different. You know why? Because what happens in the Intel Committee, you don't know. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? Use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the Inspector General said it. And if you want to talk about Swalwell, let's talk about Swalwell. Because you have not had the briefing that I had. The FBI was concerned about putting a member of Congress on the Intel Committee that has the rights to see things that others don't because of his knowledge and relationship with a Chinese spy. And I believe there's 200 other Democrats that can serve on that committee. And they'll serve on committees, but they will not serve on a place that has national security reverence because integrity matters to me. That's the answer to your question. Democrats were shuddering privately just a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be. Republicans were predicting a red wave, but they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program, a big Thursday high-energy program for you today. That was Kevin McCarthy laying it down in the Capitol against the reporters that somehow can't make the distinction between an Intel chairman who's lied to the American people for four or five years versus a freshman congressman on a aging committee. Who would have thought that like uh, not letting Fang Fang have access to confidential information was a, was so controversial? <laughs> <laughs> what's so amazing, what struck me about this whole discussion is now that the press has used George Santos as the wedge to try to describe why it is that Swalwell and Schiff are on the Intelligence Committee. Did they, are, really? They're pulling that? Yeah, that's oh like that was what the whole discussion was about that McCarthy engaged in. And you can just see his eyes light up like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. But of course, but it, what, to me, what it did was like only highlight the fact that we really haven't, they haven't talked about this at all. Like they, the press really, in the Capitol, never dealt with Swalwell at all. No, none of that. There was no reckoning. It's like everyone knows except the reporters it's an insane situation yeah they have like zero interest in pursuing this no one like there have been now multiple democrats who've had issues with being involved with uh chinese like intelligence officials like is that a new thing i don't don't actually know if any capitol hill reporter has straight up asked eric swalwell did you have a sexual relationship (laughs) with the chinese spy like i don't think they've even asked him that basic question or if he's denied it, or I, I have no idea. But the because best I feel is like it, it was never it. a scandal, right? It no. was never like take. We understand that they're all in the pocket of Adam Schiff because he was doling out fake intel to right. him on the reg for five years, right? So we get that they're going to look the other way on that situation. But the Swalwell one, nobody even thought. Like I don't know, maybe it doesn't make sense to have him on the intel committee. Well, the trick that they use with Democrats, because as we all know, they treat Democrats differently than they treat everybody else. The trick they use with Democrats is always to report on the explanation. So the reporting that they did about Swalwell was, oh, well, Swalwell says that it was X, Y, Z, so nothing to see here. Let's move on to the next Republican (laughs) scandal. Simply a a quick interaction. Don't worry about it. As one does with Eric Swalwell. Tell us more about Santos. No, and then then it's like one thing after another. I love the Santos story for so many reasons. I think I find it completely hilarious. But as I said, we're going to cover that in more depth 
at another time because we need to we need to really get into it when we do. Uh, this episode is going to be reserved for a bunch of really great stuff. First of all, we have Governor Kim Reynolds on the program today. Huge. She's the RGA chair. She is an incredibly successful governor. And plus, she's one of the nicest people I've ever encountered in life. I mean, genuinely speaking. Really. Yeah, yeah. And, and just an amazing. Great friend of the program. Great friend of the program. She, she brought us the best tribute possible when we were in Iowa. She brought food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, she's a winner in my book. And she's been crushing it lately. Yes. Get like actual governor work, getting it done, bringing about like conservative wish list stuff. And, and you huge. are 100% right. And as you just got a new piece of that puzzle done, which we talked to her at some length about with school choice, mm-hmm. how hard is that to get done everywhere? They did it in Iowa. Follow that lady's lead, man. She's going to she's gonna make it happen. Uh, we got a sponsor for today. It's the State Financial Officers Foundation. Uh, really good group we'll talk about in a bit. But maybe we should just get right into some five stars, fellas. Let's do it. Voice? Okay, this one is from the Queen 412323. Oh, I didn't even see the title. I saw it's the title. Amazing. I should not have called on you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The title is Italian American Who Doesn't Take Offense. (laughs) This is the last thing we need. I discovered the podcast through Megan Kelly like a lot of other listeners, and I look forward to my Tuesday and Thursday morning walks to listen to the latest episodes. Passersby must think I'm crazy when they spot me laughing as I walk by myself around the neighborhood. (laughs) Love that. The show is informative and entertaining, though the fellas do seem to have a problem with the Italians. But it's all in good fun. <laughs> <laughs> Is this? Did you write this to give yourself cover? I, did, I didn't. I didn't write it. I didn't write it. I mean, we do take we do take on the Irish from <laughs> time to time. Take on the Irish. That is a fair. That's that is a fair. fair shooting assessment. internally for some of us. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> but this is a, this is a wonderful wonderful review. It is a wonderful review. All right. Well, Smug, do you want the next one here? Absolutely. This is from. Uh, approach 2013 it says make six to eight miles fly by with laughter so glad to have found you through megan kelly you've made my tuesday thursday runs entertaining and educational i love the animal stories and surprisingly find so much humor in your juvenile penis <laughs> <laughs> i also appreciate the vast array of interviews and news discussions thanks boys for being my guilty pleasure i don't usually keep a pad- podcast with so many f-bombs we're trying to work on that are we but i make an exception for you keep up the great work <laughs> the yes. best i'm getting a theme here in these reviews that people keep listening in spite of how annoying we are <laughs> like, a lot of these reviews are like you people are terrible but you know i keep listening <laughs> it's part of our charm i think yeah the key to friendship i love it all right duncan this is from not marcia fox on fox hey I just caught Josh Holmes on Fox with Dana Perino. Hey. Banger of a job making it real. Smug. Maybe if you unmasked yourself, like Libs of TikTok recently did, we'd get to see your lovely smirk. That's oh, a thought. Maybe. Oh, your we'll lovely see. smirk. For the right price. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a buy it now button on the smirk. Oh, man. All right. So let's get into what we started with, which was McCarthy formally kicking off Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell uh, from the Intelligence Committee. Oh, no. Like, our country is safer. Our country is safer. Demonstrably and without argument, right? I mean, the funny thing is, is the difference between this and what Democrats were doing, as we discussed in a previous program, 
is that they all were entirely political in their motives, right? They couldn't they couldn't say other than being totally offensive and rhetorically based that what Republicans that they kicked off the committees were doing were harmful for like American intelligence or anything like that. But they made a political decision and they did it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just was what it was. People right. sort of accepted and, it. And then people said that they would regret it and now they're regretting and it. And now they're regretting it deeply. Right. But the thing is, I'm not sure. It may have given him a lever to do this, but this is the right thing to do no matter what. No matter what. 100%. Right? So this is according to Axios. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced on Tuesday he's formally removing Schiff and Swalwell from the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, it's, a, it's a controversial move opposed by even some of McCarthy's caucus members. Mm. Oh, mm. and a stark escalation <laughs> of an ongoing tit-for-tat with Democrats over committee assignments. Mark McCarthy vowed revenge after Democrats and a handful of Republicans voted to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar from their committees in 2021. McCarthy's move comes despite opposition from some House Republicans. Uh, McCarthy announced the move in response to House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries' letter over the weekend pressing for Schiff, who was the top Democrat in the panel, and Swalwell to keep their seats. Well, see, I love this because they, they sort of minimize what Schiff did and what Swalwell did. It's all process. They describe it as a tit for tat. Yep. You know, MTG and Gosar said some intemperate things. They didn't compromise and, and, our national security by allegedly sleeping with a Chinese spy. I, I don't they didn't. Li- they didn't go on TV every night and lie about supposed intel they saw about the Russia investigation. Yeah. Right. And, and, to, and to start with, like MTG and Ghost are having, being stripped of committee assignments was completely ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. That was yet again an example of like. The Dems can have it their way and try to trick Republicans into being like, no, but you have to pursue some kind of like a path of integrity that we define. And meanwhile, on their side, like I said at the beginning of the show, there are multiple Democrats who have been caught with Chinese intel officers. Mm. Multiple. That's not even one time thing. Multiple. Uh, Don, right? Don, Don Beyer, for example, had, had somebody example. who's like in the pocket of China on his payroll. On the staff. Yeah. And got arrested out of Dulles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Diane Feinstein's been driving around what she had like five, four or five years, a Chinese asset driving around collecting intel. Well, she's not really all there. So <laughs> I, I don't know what intel she'd have to Is give up. Like, like, <laughs> I guess senators don't really talk. They kind of just drool. <laughs> I, I, I think that, that Chinese spy, the only intel they brought back to the motherland was her favorite type of ice cream. I was just going to say, the only thing the Chinese got out of that too is they're like, I don't know, but we got to invest in pudding super fast. They're really into this shit. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So, but he, but the tit for tat, and this is the point that I wanted to make here. McCarthy is expected to also hold a vote uh, on the floor about kicking off Elon Omar from the Foreign Affairs Committee. That could face opposition from his own party. No, dude, that should be done. That'd so, be fantastic. So, but but let me just let me just say, if you're just talking tit for tat, that's what that is, right? Omar is a tit for tat with what Democrats did with Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene because it's rhetorically based, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She said some incredibly anti-Semitic things. I think she was even censured or at least reprimanded by the House at one point by Nancy Pelosi's House yeah. at one point. It was so that's bad. Worth. And, and that is very much akin to what Gosar and MTG did to get kicked off their committees. So, like, that's the tit for tat. This is something entirely different. Schiff absolutely used the position as the Intel Committee chair to lie to the American people. Yeah. Throughout. Right. I, I mean, that, that's... What he, what? The use of taxpayer dollars 
of time pushing this insane and completely fabricated Russia collusion bullshit for years. I mean, that was that literally ripped, you know, the fabric of this country apart. People have become divided as a result of what these people willfully did, spreading lies and using taxpayer money to spread those lies. And he, he's core to that set that we talk about often, the Brennan set, the Clapper yep. set, that just need to be ripped out from the American intel and law enforcement community. I right. mean, they need to be investigated. These are the people who need to be investigated. I mean, the fact that you've had, uh, it's nothing short of election interference. When you're telling people for years, Donald Trump is a KGB asset, and then saying, oh, no, actually, everything that's uh, coming out about the Biden family is Russian disinformation, all of which is demonstrably false. And using your history as someone who worked in the intelligence community is kind of like a wink and a nod, like, oh, yes, I know something secretive. That's why I'm an expert being paid. That's what they do. To tell you this. That's what they do. The wink and the nod. And, and he even said at one point, well, I've seen the smoking gun. Like, remember that? Like, <laughs> holy you Remember that? He's like, I can't talk about it. I've seen the smoking gun. It's there. <laughs> Well, this what a liar! This, yeah. The McCarthy move is a step in the right direction, and one of the things that I don't—I didn't remember seeing in this Axios piece—but McCarthy emphasized uh, the other night was that it's not like these guys can't serve in Congress. It's not like he's saying they can't serve on any committee. He's yeah. just saying that he doesn't want them to have access to special information that only the top cle- people with top clearance that have the best intentions are should be seeing. That's exactly right. right. I mean, like, what is it about the Intel Committee? that Eric Swalwell wants so bad. I mean, aren't there He's people... He's like, oh my God, they're going to release videos if I don't get on the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what my about... leverage is gone. <laughs> what about the small... Bi- I mean, isn't there, aren't there small businesses in his district that could use a little representation on some com- you know committee assignment in the House? There's got to be something well, other than intel he can do. And where... what McCarthy said is there are at least 200 other members of the Democratic caucus I'd be happy to put on the intel committee. He, he's not taking Democrats off. The, he's, right. he is, he's literally removing problems from a very sensitive, very important committee for America. And that's the thing that I think we're going to see throughout now with everything that McCarthy does. All of these reporters are going to say, like, wow, he's bowing to the right wing of his caucus because, you know, of course, that's what he needed to cater to to become speaker. Like, this is very much not that. And, like, I don't know who needs to say that. I mean, the variety program is probably not the, the, the like, most unbiased source, but this is not a right wing move. This is really, really a mainstream move. If you had any sort of self-respect for your institution or concern for the national security of the United States, this is a no-brainer. Right, and that's what makes this media reaction so frustrating. It's because they're more interested in defending these two politicians than they are in defending a process that's so important. Right. Well, and remember they, you know, before uh, 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 when Nunez, Devin Nunez was the ranker on this committee in 2018. Right. And the efforts that Democrats went through to try to create this narrative around him that he was just some crazy, like, absolute lunatic congressman who should be removed from intel altogether, except for the reports that he was producing, which were castigated at the time as complete science fiction, turned out to all be true. Mm -hmm. Right? And, like, he never got an apology for that. This was a guy who spent 10 years in his career as a congressman, everybody thinking he's, like, a super knowledgeable straightforward thoughtful individual member and then he got into that Schiff situation and everybody wanted to make him an asshole because Schiff was assuring people that the intelligence showed that donald trump was a kgb agent yeah the me- media has always skewed center left but there was a time years ago when they would at least 
put their biases aside and try to play it both ways. Right now, it is just the worst. I mean, this is a terrible. This is, this is really, it was an awful, awful point in American history, but I'm glad that, that McCarthy's turning the page on that. Um, so you know we're in on the animals, and we talked a lot about how these animals are coming to get us. 100%. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that Ashbrook pretty much, like, didn't you wage war, essentially? No, I just said that, that we need to, heads up. You know, heads up is a good heads way to up. Put it. When a hog is killing the butcher, something is afoot. Yep, right. You need to get ready. It's you not just to... Hank. Exactly. I it's... think I think the animal kingdom senses our weakness coming out of COVID. I think so. They're like, oh, these the humans are soft. They are very soft. Yeah. And so here they come. Yet another story from the animal kingdom. This is from Breaking Nine One One that uh, McDaniel found. Uh, Sumner County, Kansas. A 30-year-old man died in Kansas on Saturday due to an accidental discharge of a rifle caused by a dog stepping on it Hmm. in a truck parked on East 80th Street, officials said. The victim, who was found in the front passenger seat, was pronounced dead at the scene after receiving CPR from emergency uh, personnel. Um, The dog shot a guy. Yeah. The dog shot him. They found... (laughs) You know, I imagine they probably found a copy of Old Yeller on the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> the dog, the dog he's like, the dog really? read it. Yeah, dog read it. Really? Like, this is what they did? Right. This they, is what they did to Old Yeller? And they talk, the You're going to tie me to what? The dog flipped the script. The dog flipped the script. Yeah. This is this is happening all over the place. We warned you on Tuesday. <laughs> the time to take a stand against animals is now, before it's too late. <laughs> and Pete, dog's supposed to be man's best friend. Yeah. I mean, this is the ultimate betrayal. You would think. You would think. PETA is out there working for them. The question is, who is working for you? <laughs> you can't tr- You can't trust them all. I mean, like pit bulls, for example. You can't trust those dogs. Oh, man, we're going to get some comments on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? There's do you a- think it's that's not a non-controversial <laughs> issue, having a pit bull? No, it's it's not that I think it's non-controversial. It's that it is controversial within the dog community, the dog owner community. I think there's some people who say pit bulls. It is genetic that they are aggressive, and there are people who say that's learned behavior, and a pit bull can be a nice animal. I'm like a Calvinist. Like every pit bull has a demon, and then they're all going to hell, and they're irredeemable. (laughs) Well, you're every pit bull. You are you are correct. (laughs) It's true. true. Mira is going to crush you on this. (laughs) Does she have pit bulls? I, I don't know, but she she definitely fosters they a lot have of dogs. Faces like a dinosaur. Yeah, they yeah, bite true. with like thousands of pounds of pressure. Yes, that, that is true. This is not a nice animal. Like genetically, their diet is children. <laughs> <laughs> no, genetically, that's correct. That's all they want to eat. You can maybe keep them you away can't give from them. Give them Alpo because it's just mocking the pit bulls. Like I want child. <laughs> yeah, that's all I want. <laughs> but I mean, speaking of children, this is not limited to hogs and dogs. We saw what happened in Asia with the monkeys, where the monkeys are literally picking up children and dropping them, hawking off the them off the top yeah. building. Yep. Yep. Heads up, people. Because they came came to the realization first that there can only be one, you know? Like, people got to wise up to the same thing. So, banana pools, get everything ready. (laughs) Drown them. That's all you can do. Wow. (laughs) I love that, like, our our coverage of animal stuff has now just enlightened Ashbrook's inner (laughs) anti-animal. Yeah, it's like every time we do an animal segment, Ashbrook's in the corner shining up his shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody has to stick up for people. Okay. Who will speak for the people? Who will speak for the people? We need to start an association. We should, like an anti-PETA association? Or a people association. People for the ethical treatment of people. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> it sounds like a good idea. Uh, McDaniel's super big into this next story, and this part of it actually is interesting, so it's gone in the document today. We threw it out on Tuesday because I didn't really think it was that great. But you know how eggs are super expensive now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As is everything. But apparently eggs are like way worse than everything. So there's becoming a new contraband issue here. And this is according to D-N-Y-U-Z. That must be a local affiliate uh it starts with from california to texas border agents are increasingly uh, seizing surprising type of contraband from mexico eggs u.s customs and border protection agents had more than 2,000 encounters with people trying to bring eggs into the united states from mexico between november and january wow that's incredible i mean that's incredible eggs that's just a wild deal. That's like 200 a day. That's insane. That, I mean, that many? That's insane. Well, it must be... Lu- I mean, eggs aren't an or, easy or, thing to travel with. It must be pretty lucrative, this this trade. Well, they say that it's... Um, the, the guy who is the uh, CBP uh, spokesperson says that they're significantly less expensive in Mexico. Huh. So there's got to be some kind of a markup on it, clearly. Well, that's the thing is, like, if you're choosing, like, of all the things to smuggle through that border that can make you money. Yeah, right. If, like, by weight, eggs are outweighing the profit margin off any other things that are probably coming across that border, you got to be making bank. Like, there are some egg barons living good in Mexico. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're like, all right, we got to start building the tunnels. That's the next step. Also, is there anything more difficult? It's like, I want eggs and water for crystal. That's what I'm bringing. (laughs) That's what I'm bringing. I mean, it's got to be the toughest thing to smuggle in the world. You get, like... You're swimming through rivers and into tunnels, and you're carrying a like dozen abo- above your head. <laughs> you think? Like I can't even get the things out of the damn grocery store. <laughs> yeah. And you finally get to like the safe house in like <laughs> the desert somewhere in America, and then the dude just like checking all the eggs if they're broken, just like sweating bullets. Finds one broken egg. This guy's egg gonna shoot me if a bullet beats your ass. Eggs. <laughs> I'm just picturing some drug lord from the Sinaloa cartel or whatever it's called. Sin- Sinaloa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, like swimming like Scrooge McDuck into a bunch of eggs. <laughs> you know, the Tony Montana of ducks. They, eat, they all eat like eight egg omelets every morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw the rest to the dogs. Yeah. Guys, there is one solution out there that has not been tried yet. It is a way to double egg production overnight. This is going to be anti-chicken, isn't it? No, it's not anti-chicken. It's about creating more egg layers. And what I think we should do is team up with our betters in the woke community (laughs) and allow them to teach roosters how to lay eggs. (laughs) You could double the number of eggs overnight. So if If the roosters identify as a chicken. They start laying eggs. Then it's, it's, we're told, uh, the same. It's an economic benefit instantly. It's a great way to outlaw cockfighting, too. So I mean, so I can't, I can't get over this. So, so this, this is, is going to go way downhill. <laughs> so this is ex- explaining it a little bit. So uh, in this article, I mean, the numbers are just insane. So first off, it says that um, the field offices in San Diego, Tucson, Laredo, El Paso, all of them uh, are reporting that there's been just like you know a flood of egg trafficking. Uh, it says the average price for a dozen large grade A eggs rose from uh, rose to four dollars and twenty five cents from one dollar ninety two cents. Uh, between Jan- just last year, um, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, it says in Mexico you can get the same offer. It says thirty to fifty-one pesos for less than two bucks. 
So, like, you're mm. doubling your money if you just walk it across that line. Yeah, well, it says the average grade A eggs here are four twenty five. Yeah, that's the thing is like you know, and you don't have to worry about you know, uh, no one's dying over eggs. You know, like there's there's not fields of eggs where you've got people well, now in might. the jungle making <laughs> eggs, and then people are getting <laughs> machine gunned over eggs. You know, it's just like, bro, I got eggs, man. <laughs> I got eggs. And like the border protection, like if you roll up and you got kilos, that's a problem. If they see eggs, they're like, okay, what the hell, dude? Well, I eggs? don't, I mean, it seems like they must be confiscating the eggs if they're dealing with, <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they're saying, aren't they? Um, I, I'm going to stay on top of this story. This is insane. Just the, the on the premise of like that this a size of one egg is more lucrative by margin for them to make money than that amount of like cocaine or heroin or fentanyl or anything. It's amazing. It, mind blowing. It, it is a mind blowing stat, no question about it. Yeah, we talked earlier this week about that turtle who was found at sea with fifty million dollars of cocaine attached to it and a and like a homing beacon. The yeah. Hunter Biden turtle. I think that these turtles are gonna start carrying it. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna find him out out at sea. Probably with like an M sixteen I'd spell. <laughs> <laughs> where this little turtle beak can pull the trigger. AI powered. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk politics for a minute. It comes at a good time. We have um, uh, a, a obvious guest that who runs the RGA, but there's all kinds of things happening here uh, that are reason for us to turn the page on 2022 and start looking forward. Uh, for one, it's going to be a good Senate map, fellas. It's going to be a really good Senate map. There's a bunch of seats up, including... Our favorite uh, West Virginia Senator Manchin, who, uh, from my standpoint, he's got to go, dude. He's got to go. It doesn't matter what this guy says. It, like everybody's looked back on this guy's career, and he's just—he's one of the all-time best bullshit artists that's ever lived. Yeah, right. Because like it—it's it, lasted longer than it should. Like usually, when somebody's just a terrific bullshit artist, they can get through a couple of cycles, but then their actions ultimately outweigh you know, what it is that they're doing for a living. Mm -hmm. This guy's been doing it for a really long time. And the last one was, I think, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? He's like the linchpin for the Green New Deal mm -hmm. in West Virginia. Of all people. Of, of all, all people, people, right? So <clears throat> that's a big one. You've got Ohio and your, your home state, another big pickup. Yeah, Sherrod Brown's a tough out, he um, is. but I think we can do it this year. In a presidential year, Ohio is moving more and more red, and Brown's voting record does not really fit the state. Totally, and I, I've heard that there are some really good candidates that are, are there. We're already meeting with candidates, by the way, but we're doing that to try to vet out and see you know, who's going to be a serious candidate and who's not. The serious ones, I think we're going to get it on the program here shortly, so you'll begin to hear some of that. Uh, Ohio is certainly one of them. And we beat Sherrod Brown. Does that, that made J.D. Vance the senior senator from Ohio. It right? would. It would. Be. It would. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. It would. That'd be pretty cool. That's a title I think you'd appreciate. <laughs> That's I, a pretty good one. I think it is. got to make that happen. It is. So we're going to take a look at that. Montana is an absolutely massive one. And this is John Tester, who should have lost in 2018, but for what I think is a pretty substandard campaign there. Um and and he's living on borrowed time. He's basically the most reliable Democratic vote you can think of, and we which is an insult for Montana. Totally, it's an insult for Montana to have this guy. Totally. So there's a bunch of candidates who are thinking about. It. Everybody wants to winnow this down to a couple of congressmen who are there. 
I think it's going to be wider than that, and I think that there's going to be a bunch of good choices. We'll see what it ultimately winds up to, but you'll hear them here first on the Variety Program. And you know what? I, here's what I propose. That's an important seat. I don't want to blow this opportunity. I say we go out there. We should The whole crew, we should go out there. We should talk to candidates. We should talk to the people, see what it's like in Montana. We should do that for a lot of these states. West Virginia? Definitely. Like we got to make sure this is not blown. <laughs> just an absolutely shameless pitch. Now, Gianforte did invite us. There you go. He did invite there you us. Go. One of my, probably my favorite governor. I mean, talk about someone who actually gets it done. <laughs> All of this. Probably li- my favorite governor. I li- love that guy. Listeners, you should know, uh, you've been stumping smug for a Montana event for two years. If for no other reason, then you can go sit in the woods and fly fish. <laughs> I mean, that's among the many good things about Montana. Many people are saying. <laughs> I mean, it really is shameless. <laughs> um, but then, you know, we also, look, we also have the Nevada-Arizona dynamic again. Calm me down is passive. I know we've got a, Democrats are shooting themselves in the foot and that you have Cinema who's now an independent and this guy Ruben Gallego who's running as a Democrat and they're going to be fighting each other and there's you know, ostensibly a pretty wide lane for a Republican to get involved and win here. I just think that, that you've heard me talk about it before. Until somebody shows me that that state party has any resemblance of competence, I'm very pessimistic. Yeah. It's like they go out of their way. There's an article today about how they spent $550,000 down the stretch on a bus tour when everybody else, all the Democrats are out there trying to put ballots in the in box. the box. Yeah. Right? And I mean, you if you're trying to hurt yourself, it's very difficult to win. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's that's one reason why I think Arizona is a little bit a little bit rough, but you know, there's some smart people who are working on it, so we'll see what happens. And the other one's Nevada, which we all sort of feel a little bit of uh, rug burn on uh, after 2022. But again, we got a Republican governor, right? And I think there are some decent candidates out there that could may- maybe make that happen as well. So who knows? You know, I mean, we've got a bunch of really excellent prospects. I think the House is certainly a place where we can begin picking up seats in some of those more rural districts where Mm -hmm. we saw turnout down a bit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the obvious presidential. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you heard on Tuesday one who may very well be a candidate in Pompeo. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a, I think, a full parade. Don't you think, fellas? Absolutely. Candidates in here. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to that. So we're going to start covering this a little bit more. I know it takes everybody just a little bit of time to start getting their mind wrapped around politics again, but we're going to start doing it in a more serious way. Today's episode is sponsored by State Financial Officers Foundation. A new poll this week in Breitbart found that 70% of people have never heard of ESG. But when it's broken down and clearly defined, overwhelmingly, they oppose it. 59% said the primary focus of investors in government pension funds should be maximizing returns for retirees, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not impacting public policy. If you guys are familiar with what ESG is, it's basically, you know, all these investment funds are now prioritizing these green initiatives and stuff and punishing, you know, the quote unquote fossil fuel industry and all this sort of stuff. But if you look at all this polling, clearly the American people aren't behind it. But at the upper echelons of finance in America today, Everybody's getting all in on this, right, this ESG bullshit. 
It gets even worse by the numbers here. 68% say states shouldn't be doing business with companies that advocate for policies that make electricity more expensive. And 70% say states shouldn't do business with companies that make gas more expensive. Well, I mean, if you think about it at a very base level, the purpose of a pension fund is someone has worked their entire life and now they deserve the retirement they were promised. Instead of getting them the money to enjoy their retirement, the people managing it are worried about like, okay, what is AOC thinking is a cool thing to invest in? That's completely insane. Right, right. Like it's a real perversion of capitalism, right? Like instead of trying to maximize the returns for the investors, you got, you know, these people in finance worrying about, oh, the environmental impact, the social impact, the governance of these companies they choose to invest in, all just bullshit woke politics. Yeah, imagine being like the the police officer or a nurse or, or a teacher and like, Okay, you're counting on your retirement to be there, but it's like, actually, we invested in some bullshit green energy stuff. Right. I mean, uh, that's ridiculous. Um, and for this reason, the State Financial Officers Foundation launched a major ad campaign. It's called Our Money, Our Values to educate people about what ESG is and why they should reject it. That's that's super important because Get the em. number that 70% have never heard of this, um, the ad's already gone viral on YouTube with over a million views. And the Our Money, Our Value site has ESG 101, this is key, explaining how ESG works as a highly subjective political score forcing progressive politics on all Americans. ESG in action, an explanation of how it's putting retirement funds at risk. I mean, that is very key because this is essentially just trying to force America to go this path. And they start by attacking retirees' money. Right, because, I mean, you know, when you invest in stuff like this, you sort of set it and forget it, right? You're like, this is my retirement. But, like, it's really important that we educate the American people about what they're doing here. Totally. So you can learn more at ourmoneyourvalues.com or checking them out on Facebook and Twitter at SFOF underscore states. SFOF underscore states. Nice. Well, the State Financial Officers Foundation was previously on Ruthless uh, when Utah Treasurer Marlo Oaks came on to discuss how Utah was pulling state money out of these financial firms investing in ESG. Yeah. Uh, that, and also, West Virginia has taken similar action. Riley Moore, who you know we're all a fan of, uh, divested from banks pushing ESG, and his reason was simple. Why should West Virginia pension funds be invested in firms that are actively working to destroy the coal industry? Get them. Fellas, I think that this is setting up to be one of the biggest political fights of the decade. Yeah. I, I'm sure you saw how Ron DeSantis uh, called corporate America and the left's effort to inject an ideological agenda through our economy rather than through the ballot box. He's He's mm-hmm. been attacking that over and over and over again. Even Elon Musk called it scam weaponized by social justice warriors and he pointed out that tesla which most people know is the top electric car maker in the world and they didn't even make uh the esg approved list because right so they're mad at him because they don't like his rules on twitter yeah <laughs> he, he, he let free speech back on twitter they don't like it so all of a sudden his electric cars aren't good anymore. it's just a special way for liberals to reward their fe- their friends and punish their enemies that's it that's it, all it is it really exposes the fiction it really does. So, you know, Congress is looking at this. Tom Cotton has been a champion in the Senate, and the new Republican House majority is chomping at the bit to, to look into this. So we're going to have a lot more to say on this topic in the coming weeks. Yep, Fellas, I think it's time to uh, play our signature game. Well, it's Thursday. That means King of the Hill. Holmes, you have our defending champion, Jennifer Rubin, right? I do, indeed. She's ready. Okay. Who are you going to bring today, Smug? I'm bringing none other. Than Stuart, the worst consultant in America, Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ringside. 
Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill in the red corner, fighting out of an office at Romney Campaign Headquarters. Former consultant Stuart Stevens. And now, in the blue corner, fighting out of the Washington Post and current champion of the world, Jennifer Brain Worms Rubin. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right, so for our new listeners who maybe came in through Megyn Kelly, King of the Hills, our signature game, three rounds, Holmes and Smug have to bring a champion. It's round by round, first to two, wins the knockout. Mm-hmm. The defending champion, Jennifer Rubin, Josh Holmes, has to go first. Yeah, yeah, and I, I brought my game here. I brought my game. This is Rubin. <clears throat> in response to Adam Schiff and Swalwell getting kicked off committees, Dems should impose a rule when they return to power. No election deniers on any committee. <laughs> Let me explain for the audience why it is, in typical Jennifer Rubin fashion, the most amazing take. The current head of the Democratic Party in the House, Akeem Jeffries, is in fact an Ele- election denier. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two thirds of their entire caucus. <laughs> he, he is like maybe one of the most notable 2016 election deniers that you can think of. I mean, and some of the folks in the caucus and senior roles, you could go back multiple elections that Republicans won and they denied them. You could hang rafters. <laughs> You know, election denying, 2004. Election denying. Half their committee chairs, like, voted in the way that you would imagine to be the most egregious of election denying. (laughs) Zero Uh, homework. No, no, that's sort of her brand, though. Okay. Okay, so this is from Stu Stevens, and in, in the intro, I called him the worst consultant in America, and for folks who are not familiar with his body of work, essentially a losing record of work, he was uh, one of Romney's presidential campaign consultants, and I think it's important to keep that in mind. That why? How did we lose? You know these races when when you've got uh, people like Stuart Stevens involved? Because this is the mindset he has. Stuart Stevens, this is going to be great. Rick Wilson and Reed Galen talk about the attacks that the GOP will be launching towards POTUS. What will they be? How best to inoculate? What's the best counterattack? The 2024 campaign has begun. So the Lincoln Project, which is just like, we're super conservative, is like, okay, how do we defend Biden and beat the Republican? It's insane. I just this love is it. the guy who's a multiple pre- Republican presidential campaign consultant. Right. Of campaigns that we lost, of course. Right. But this is why. This is why. I, what I in particular like about it is, like, he's still shilling, like, the Lincoln Project, which has like been on its last legs for like three years now, <laughs> <laughs> as, as long as those recurring payments keep coming through, they're like, yes, yes, I got to keep doing this. I mean, it's incredible because if if he were being honest, 
he would be like, okay, I'll just advise the Republican campaign if I want to lose. Like, he, he can't explain to people, well, look at my record. I've lost every single time. Every guy touched turns this shit. But it's, like, incredible that he's like, this is how we're going to do it. We'll have Rick Wilson and Reed Gill and have a discussion. Brilliant. Well, that's the, that is the, the brain s- trust right there. That's sort of the funniest part about the whole, like, Rick Wilson, uh, everything Trump touches dies thing yeah. is it's incredible projection from a crew of people who lost so many Republican races. <laughs> totally. Like they lost so many races. Totally. Um, okay. Well, these are both really terrible takes. And <laughs> terrible, terrible being good in this game, obviously. <laughs> <sighs> but I just think the uh, lack of awareness for, from Jennifer Rubin there on the election denying front uh, <laughs> takes the cake. And for that reason, she wins round one. All right. All right, Smog, what do you got for round two? All right, so I'm going to just come in hot, no explanation. Stuart Stevens, reading Radio Free Tom should be mandatory. <gasps> Quote, if Russia finally captures Ukraine by mass murder, torture, and nuclear threats, then everything the world has gained since the defeat of the Axis in 1945 and the end of the Cold War will be in mortal peril. <laughs> <laughs> it started It started really red. <laughs> All right, so this is with uh, Ruben, and I just, it's a personal one that I just love. Um, she's tweeting out an opinion column about Ruben Gallego. Mm. And this is the guy who's primarying Kirsten Cinema, who right. allegedly is, is too moderate for Democrats these right. days. And she's the conservative right. here at uh, the Washington Post, so she should, you know, she should know. He's loyal and dependable, she's out for herself. He's offering grit and hard work in contrast to cinema's flakiness and penchant for self-promotion. <laughs> I just find it so hilarious that we've got a po- gotten to a point where the conservative blogger right. at the Washington Post is now actively humping for liberal primary challengers, N- now, centrist Democrats. She, right, now she's to the left of most of the Democratic Party. She's not just the conservative blogger. She's, she now works for Alternet. Let, let me repeat. <laughs> you know? Reading Radio Free Tom should be mandatory. Imagine yeah. the world where you wake up, you eat your bugs, you've gotten out of your pod, and now it's like, now you will read the Radio Free Tom. That's what I keep There's going back that's what I That's what I keep going back to in that take is... Like it's like uh, it's like the most ambitious crossover ever, <laughs> Stu Stevens and Radio Free Tom. And I think the the hat tip to another competitor in this game, King of the Hill, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I like that panache, Smug, and for that reason, you win round two. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's kind of like a theme with these that I picked. Is it's like the shittiest version of Avengers ever. It's like all the horrible people, <laughs> Stu Stevens assembling them for this King of the Hill. Round three? All right, I brought a nuke. Okay. I brought a nuke. You're holding it in your back pocket. She's tweeting out a story about Bezos spying the Redskins. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. If he buys the team, he can change the god-awful name to, colon, the Washington Press. Wow. <laughs> Wow. I don't think I've ever been speechless in this game. He wants to name it after Chernos. I mean, that's kind of my glaive take. I've got something hot, though. Can we, can we actually get to a good take? It better be hot. <laughs> this is, so this is from Stu Stevens. Okay. 
I think I've worked on more GOP presidential primaries than just about anybody. One four out of five. Can we first of all get a fact check on any of this? <laughs> Last week, Trump said, don't cut Social Security and Medicare. Uh, a great general election message. Governor Ron DeSantis attacks AP Black History. Terrible general message. Which candidate is more confident? Now he's gotten so deep into the madness Hell that yeah. he's like, I would defend Trump Hell now. Yeah. <laughs> they need Trump back. How is it like? How is this happening? That he's gotten so into his own head that he's like, the best way to attack Trump is to defend Trump. Right. Right? It's, he it's looked, gotten that far. He had one look at his bank account. Yeah. And realized that it, he need him back. Need him back. Yeah. Wild. That's a good one too. That is. Oh, it's a good one. It's just the shamelessness and the cringe of naming your football team after the media. Like, who's who's going to be the mascot? A bunch of paper boys, <laughs> you know, carrying their satchel with papers they throw into the crowd. Well, the idea that it's some sort of iconic brand right. that the American people would immediately appreciate. They have like as low of approval ratings as Congress. The worst. <laughs> it's the most out of touch thing you could possibly tweet. It's like how the Washington scumbags yeah. weren't available. Yeah. What do you think the the approval of the press is amongst your average NFL viewer? Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. For that reason, the still reigning champion Jennifer Rubin. Oh, uh, she brought some good stuff, man. Yeah. She really did. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, let's move on. To the interview. I want to welcome to the program one of our favorites. The last time we saw her was at the Iowa State Fair a couple of years ago, but we've certainly kept in touch with everything that she's been up to. Governor Kim Reynolds, welcome. Hi, Josh. It's great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I think we were talking about all the amazing food that yeah. you guys were able to partake in at the Iowa State Fair on a stick, I, right? <laughs> the challenge was laid before you all. I think that's right. And the challenge was significant, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I rolled out sideways, as we all did. But man, we had we had so much fun. And we got to know just a bunch of people in your state, which, by the way, just the work that you all do on the political side in, in Iowa is incredible. I mean, the bench, the the amount of talented young Republicans all across the state I mean, you look at 2022, which was, you know, mediocre year for Republicans, not for you guys. No, it, it was a big year. We actually saw a red wave and we don't get talked about as often as some of the larger states, Florida, just yeah. to name one, you know, <laughs> which I love. Who's counting? But who's counting? Iowans up here like, gosh, good, gosh, darn it. We did well, too. But when you think about it, I mean, we um, have a supermajority now in the Iowa State Senate, near supermajority in the House. Uh, I won by a significant margin. And I think the statistic I really love to talk about is there are only three statewide races that flipped across the entire country. Mm -hmm. Of course, Governor Lombardo was one of them, but the other two races were in Iowa. We flipped two 40-year incumbents, the state treasurer and the state attorney general. I will have my own attorney general, and it's the first time since the 70s that, that we had a Republican attorney general. So watch out, Joe Biden. We are coming after you, right? You got yeah, a, unified, <laughs> a unified Iowa. Well, listen, uh -huh. it hasn't come without a lot of really hard work, and we were able to see that at the ground level. and talk to people and all the work that you guys do to make sure that everybody wants to be a part of politics. I was telling somebody the other day that wanted to get involved in Iowa politics. And I said, well, 
there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is they'll welcome everybody. The bad news is everybody wants to be a part of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's really true. And we just run as a team. And I love that. I'm so proud of from Jeff Kaufman to our county parties, to our elected officials, to our candidates, to the governor. I mean, it really is an all hands on deck effort. I spent a lot of time talking about this isn't about one individual. It is about a team. uh, And it is about a group of people that are committed to really providing opportunity and making sure freedom is front and center in everything we talk about when we, you know, are trying to convince Iowans to elect us to represent them. So um, it's the great and young people. We have so many young people that are running. Oh, it's that's our our bench is incredible. It really is. It's it's totally incredible. And part of the reason for that is not just that you all are charming and good recruiters no. and everything else, but part of the reason for that is because when you get into office, you do exactly what it is that you say you're going to do. And one of the things that I want to cover with you, because it's one of the hardest things to actually achieve, all of us revere the issue of school choice, but actually implementing school choice, even in red states, is very, very difficult. You guys just about got that done, huh? We got it done. I'm so proud of it. I tell you, yesterday I signed the bill into law and it was a proud day for Iowa kids and for parents. And I've been working on it. We've been working on it for three years. Um, You know, I got it through the Senate two years in a row and I wasn't able to get it across the finish line in the House. But we made progress each year. So we expanded open enrollment. We expanded charter school. We continue to look for ways to give parents more choice. Um, And but but and then we had the 22 election. And I had candidates running against, you know, some, some incumbents, but they were really focused on school choice. That was their number one priority. And they won in these primaries across the state. They won by a significant margin. It was the focus of my campaign. I talked about it as I traveled the state extensively. Uh, and, and, and really it's what I was hearing for parent, from parents. So I was reflecting what I was being told And uh, I talked about our majorities in the House and the Senate and the governor's office. And so I felt like uh, I wanted to be able to go back to our new legislators and to our to the to the legislator, to the legislators, all of them and say, we got a mandate on this. This is what people Iowans want. This is what our kids deserve. Let's go for it. And we went bold. I said, you know, we've laid down the Capitol. We worked hard on this. We should go big and bold. But but as part of it, I think, Josh, one of the reasons that we were successful, too, is I spent a lot of time talking to rural superintendents and principals, looking at them face to face, saying, listen, I'm the governor of the state of Iowa. The last thing I need to do is I, I, I want to do is take down public schools. It's the foundation yeah. of our of our school, of our school, um, of, of, of education, and it's the backbone of our economy. So we put in some things that help them as well. So we gave them some flexibility and the ability to use some existing ongoing funding to increase teacher salaries uh, and, and, and get some additional funding uh, on top of that, that would be new money. And I think, you know, they don't like it. I'm not saying (laughs) I want them over, but they have to admit that these were things that they had asked for, that they talked to me about that I incorporated into the bill, which made it, I think, uh, you know, helped our legislators need to get across the finish line with it. So good, good numbers oh. too in the house. <laughs> well, I've got so much admiration for it because it's one of those issues that's constantly the most important thing that you can think of doing. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, just the prospect of money following kids oh. and, and improving their education on an individual basis rather than part of some system. It's just, it's so, it's so important, but it always loses 
luster in the political whatever issue of the day is, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. every cycle, yeah. there's something else that sort of, you know, is the sexy thing to talk about. And, it, and this is the most difficult thing to do. So people just don't do it. The fact uh-huh. that you guys did it, I just love it. Yeah. Well, I think we've got model legislation too that other states can pick up and take advantage of, you know, we're all very competitive. So I said this morning on a local interview that I was doing, he wanted me to do a prediction. And I said, you know, I think Iowa is going to lead, we've led the way. I think you're going to see at least four or five other states use uh, the, the language or something similar to what we did. So we really emboldened the country. Uh, to, it's worth it. You know, just be bold, lean in, talk about it, do it, you know, and, and, and you can do it. And it is the first time in Iowa history where the funding will follow the student and not the system. And I am so, so excited about it. It'll uh, it's, we're going to make it effective next year. Uh, We, we get to the universal in three years. So it's open to all incoming kindergartners, all kids in public school. And then for the first year, the students that are in private school. So this is a new ad. If they're at 300% of federal poverty level or below, then they qualify. So those parents can start taking advantage of this. The next year, same incoming kindergartens, all public. But if you're 400% of FPL, then you qualify. And by year three, it's universal. Everybody has access to this fund. Oh, that's great. So, what a great yeah. program. That's great. And I and I hope a lot of people are are taking notes on what you all are doing up there because it's not just this issue. If you've watched over the last few years, Iowa has sort of led the way in a whole bunch of really important things that we've been watching anyway. So thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, you bet. If you wouldn't mind talking a little politics with us. Sure. Uh, you are the incoming RGA chair, which yep. I couldn't think of a I couldn't think of a better time for all that. Not the least of which is one, you're wonderful at your job, but two, you got a whole bunch of presidential candidates scouting around Iowa looking for ways to be helpful to Kim <laughs> Reynolds. <laughs> it's pretty good. We can timing, drive the narrative. Right? It is okay. It works. You know, it's, a, it's wonderful how things line up every once in a while, right? <laughs> it, is. it is. I'm surprised we hadn't thought about that before. <laughs> um, so what's the lay of the land out there for governors this cycle? Uh, so as far as pickup opportunities, yeah. so we, we, we've got three, um, that are on the ballot this time. Very excited about, we've got Kentucky. So we've got a pickup opportunity there. We have a pickup opportunity with an open seat in Louisiana. And of course, Tate Reeves is killing it in Mississippi. I actually served with him as Lieutenant governor. So he's another bold governor that's out there trying to do everything he can to improve uh, the quality of life for his citizens. So yeah. uh, we're, we're going to work with him. He should, you know, not have any problem being, being reelected. Uh, looking forward to working with Joe Lombardo. He done it just, you know, he just doesn't have a legislature, but that man's not afraid to stand bold, stand tall yeah. and uh, to, to put great ideas out there. So we're, we're excited uh, about having him become part of the team. Love Sarah Sanders. So I'm looking so forward to working with her. We've been good friends for a long time. And oh my goodness, she has hit the ground running, which again is good for constituents and Americans in general, because the Republican governors that I've served with and worked with, we are so damn competitive <laughs> that, you know, I mean, like I, I went to three, nine Tate's at three, eight. Now I'm going to have to go to two on my individual income tax, trying to get to zero. So what I can compete with Chrissy, you know, it is all good. You all win. And we're uh, out there, you know, trying to outdo each other. So I'm excited about our message. And, and really, if you look to the States, to the governors, that's where you're seeing uh, incredible change and things are getting done. We're, 
you know, we are balancing a budget, we're keeping spending in check, we're driving economic growth, we're cutting taxes, keeping communities safe. I passed a comprehensive back to blue bill that included qualified immunity. So, you know, we've led on that. That's hard to do as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're putting parents first, and you know, first and foremost, and, and putting them in charge of their child's education, and just really making sure that we're protecting the freedom of yeah. the individuals that we serve. So um, I, I I got a great group of colleagues that I work with, and we're excited to add two new states. Yeah, no list. kidding. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Kentucky, one that I know a little bit about, and I've, I've been teasing yes. people down there in that, uh, you know, recruiting for Senate. I'd take any of the three candidates, major candidates that they've got running on the top of the Republican ticket over there uh, right away for Senate in almost any state in the union. I mean, they've got terrific candidates and they're, I mean, I know they're really going to slug it out there, but, um, man, oh man, it's an embarrassment of riches in some ways. It is and be tough, you know, so I just hope we can get everybody to focus on the opposition. You know, primaries can sometimes can just be brutal, but if we can sit down and really, I know Sarah Crick, is the new uh, executive director of the RGA. I, I know her, a little thing about Sarah, a little bit about her. She was, uh, I was fortunate enough to have her as my chief of staff for four years and they don't normally stay that long. So that tells you how tough she is, first yeah, of all. Right, um, right. And she really understands the governor's office. So she understands the dynamics between politics and just being a governor. Um, mm-hmm. So I think she really brings uh, a great deal of value to the RGA and we're just trying to get in front of it. She's already been on the ground. She was, I think, just in Kentucky. Uh, this week, uh, talking to candidates in the party and figure out how we can come at this as a team and really be successful and uh, add that to our flip column. So yeah. I appreciate her being down there and, and really getting a lay of the land and figuring out what we need to do to pre- be proactive and, and get in front of it. Well, we certainly can never do enough to have more governors because like you said, we've we've been incredibly fortunate to see incubators of great ideas bubble yeah. up that hopefully at some point we can deal with if we have a president of the United States, which is the next thing I'm going to talk to you about, because you guys are obviously on the Republican side, still hosting uh, an enormous amount of interest from potential Republican candidates. And uh, I imagine it's a little bit of a turnstile in your office of important people coming to say hello. Yeah, I love it. Iowans love it. We take it really serious. What I love about Iowans is they're very knowledgeable about all the issues because, you know, they're we're kind of a little bit snobbish when it comes to who we're going to get behind and support. Yeah. You know, if we haven't had you at a coffee or had the chance to look you in the face and check you out and really see your heart, you know, they can smell somebody that's not authentic or real. They really yeah. can. You know, they have a very good sense of that. Um, but, but they take it seriously. And so, and I, you know, I won't weigh in, I I won't endorse because I really believe that it's important that all of the candidates feel that they can come to Iowa, test their message. You can do it relatively cheap, Mm -hmm. um, small state, you know, the, the market is inexpensive for, for the most part and we engage. So what a great place to test your message and to get comfortable with getting in front of people that are engaging. And so I want everybody to, you know, feel comfortable coming. And, and I've, I've said that to everyone, I'll travel the state with you. I'd be happy to do that and to help introduce, but I'm going to do it for everybody yeah. uh, that comes into the state because I, I truly think, you know, that's the right thing to do. And if we're going to get to maintain the first and the ninth nation caucus, then we need to be, Switzerland neutral and, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. hosting them. So, and you know, the other advantage of this too, I mean, it's, is you build friendships. Yeah. So you get to know these individuals. And a lot of times if they're not 
successful in maybe becoming the president or the vice president. Um, they're a cabinet member, and uh, you, you know it's that's that's beneficial to to my constituents in the state of Iowa that I can call them up and say, "Hey, remember those four hours that I spent with you in that van <laughs> traveling to ninety nine counties? I have an issue with that. Can you just hear me out?" Uh, but it's it, that's a good you know that's an advantage as well. Yeah, oh, totally. Plus, you know, you can use their four hours to sort of help campaign for some of your state legislators in the process. Exactly. <laughs> They're very interested in helping a lot of people out. So, you know, that is also very helpful. It certainly doesn't hurt to have a household name roaming around trying to get people elected, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) You're on to us. So I think, I mean, look, Democrats have now made the move where they're just not dealing with Iowa as a first in the nation deal, which I, I think is a tremendous mistake for a whole variety of reasons. But uh, how much of do you think the constituency, even Democrats in Iowa, are just basically overwhelmed by how involved Republicans have become, how much success that you all have had? And are, are some of this is just a reflection of the fact that Iowa is now a red state, maybe for the first time you know, oh. ever. Yeah, no, for a long, long, long time. So I think they are a little bit defeated. I mean, even with what we were able to do with school choice, I I mean, we felt emboldened. We felt like, you know, elections matter. They have consequences. Um, so, you know, we were a blue state for a long, long totally. time. And then yeah. and then purple. This has been a process to work through. And I would say after this election, last election, we definitely are uh, a red state. But, you know, I, you know, as a governor, I spend a lot of time working with both sides. We do a lot of significant legislation that, you know, is is bipartisan. I have a chance to talk whether it's mental health or whether it's future ready Iowa or just a lot of stuff that we work on. Um, so I, I, I've been very fortunate to have, um, I, I it happens so often. It's the funniest thing. I just have people randomly come up when I'm buying groceries or in the growth or shopping for Christmas for the grandkids or whatever. And they just want to walk over to me and say, you know, I, I'm a Democrat, but I tell you, I kind of, I kind of like what you're doing, or I'll have them say, I'm a Democrat and I want to hate everything about her, but I just, I kind of like her, you know, so just it's about being respectful and, and sitting down. And I think we're bringing people over too, because it's not crazy things that we're working on. We're just, we're working on things that matter. And most importantly, you mentioned it earlier, Josh, we tell people what we're going to do. If they elect us, we have done a phenomenal job of following through with what yeah. we said we would do. And no matter where you're at, you got to have a healthy respect. Yeah. Or, you know, an, an elected official that actually does what they say they're going to do. And so I think, you know, they're cautious, but we, we well, obviously, because we're red state, we're bringing people, oh, we're bringing people to the light, you know, yeah, sure. away. It, uh, so that's kind know, of exciting too. Part of it. And what I really admire about you, part of it is, it's just Iowa. And, you know, if you're from this sort of area, you understand it innately, but, but part of it's unique to you in the, in your leadership style in that, what you were talking about, just being respectful and being able to talk mm-hmm. to people about issues. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a people business, right? Where you yeah. you, yes. you kind of want people to like you because it's like they vote on stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? But more mm-hmm. importantly, if you want to get done what you say you're going to get done, yeah, you can't go out of your way trying to make enemies. You got to make friends, which is, right. I think if there's one takeaway that everybody should have from your tenure as governor it's that. It's that you, you've you've made it very difficult for people to not like you, even when they want to not like you. I know. And you give them every opportunity <laughs> to come be a part of something that you're doing. I just think that's so fresh and exactly what we need. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree. Try to make them a part of it, you yeah. know, try to engage them and, and, and help them maybe find some wins in a very difficult situation where normally it would be just no way. I don't want anything to do with that. Right. Um, to just have those tough conversations, like with those principals and superintendents, I knew I wasn't going to change their mind, but I wanted to look them in the eye and tell them face to face, I was going to do everything I could to make sure we have a strong, robust public school system. And I think this elevates education as a whole. So help me be a part of it. I had one superintendent tell me, um, you know, I don't, I don't agree with this bill. I don't like it. It's law now. So I, I am going to do everything I can as a public school to make sure that I'm the destination of choice. And I'm like, that is exactly the culture I'm trying to drive. That's and the it point, is right? a game changer, right? So he's already kind of on board and yeah. ready to go. Yeah. yeah. So. It is. And you find, you know, different allies in different avenues of life. And school choice yeah. is one of those issues where you, it absolutely has a constituency that you'd never imagine. And it just has become so polarized through different interest groups and obvious, you know, the industry. It's mostly behavior. scare tactics. It's just hard to work yeah. through that too, but you just have to be patient and keep working through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, listen, we love what you're doing. Keep doing it. I know you. your tenure in the RGA, you're going to be all around the country. If we can ever help, let you know. And we're definitely 100% coming to the Iowa State Fair this year. All righty. We look forward. It's going to be a big year. I think we're going to have a lot of people through. Good. So you should be able to have a lot of people on your show. So we'll try to align some of that. Well, good. We want you first and foremost. And after that, we'll figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Thanks. It's so good to talk to you. Thank Great you. Great to talk to you too. Governor Kim Reynolds, everybody. And she is fantastic, and I'm so glad she's on a national stage right now. She's great. I can't imagine a better person to be running the RGA. This is an important cycle, and her leadership, her whole personality, it's pitch perfect. I love her. Yeah, I mean, absolute banger of an episode yet again, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Kim Reynolds. Hopefully, we'll be seeing her again at the Iowa State Fair this summer. We'll see. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.